0: i uh-huh. uh-huh. Welcome to The Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Doctor Impossible and Fatale from the novel Soon I Will Be Invincible. And joining us for the discussion is all-star guest Nick English. Welcome back, Nick.
1: Oh my gosh. Every time I hear the all-star thing, it just brings tingles right down my spine. uh, I'm very happy to be an all-star here on The Protagonist Podcast.
0: Very happy to have one of our regulars back on and bringing your your rich deep voice to the podcasting world. Here,
1: I kind of feel like this is one of the only times in my life I've reached all star status, and so <laughs> I, I'm going to wear that badge with honor. Oh, please please do. <laughs> <laughs>
0: For anyone who does not know the book, Soon I Will Be Invincible is a 2007 novel by Austin Grossman that tells the parallel stories of Dr. Impossible escaping from jail and plotting to take over the world and Fatal, a cyborg superhero joining the new champions, a superhero team that is trying to stop Dr. Impossible from taking over the world. Nick, do you remember when you first uh, heard about this book or first read it?
1: Well, I... I've been thinking a lot about it and I I know that it was sometime in the last 6 to 7 years because uh a former co-host on fandom uh the fandom podcast was the one that recommended it to me and after a little while I did sit down and read it and I went yep this is this is a good this is a good story I like this um <laughs> I'm glad you recommended it to me and so it had to have been sometime
0: in that time period so (laughs) Mm. so so this book came out when i was in grad school studying superheroes and i know i heard about it and people asked me if i'd read it and i just never got to it until this last week because we were going to talk about it on the podcast well and
1: i knew that when you said hey is there something that we should read and i had read this i I i definitely wanted to put it on the docket to someday talk about it and i think it's been on the docket for at least a few years
0: Yes, definitely.
1: (laughs) And so we're finally getting to it, which is awesome.
0: (laughs) Um, Some trivia about this. So this is Austin Grossman's first novel, and he has since published two more novels. And Austin Grossman uh, worked in video game development, and he was in a PhD program for English literature when when he wrote this this book. And when I was looking up information... I I saw links to, like, all of his family. Like, it just, you know, his relatives all have their own Wikipedia pages. His mom and dad were both PhDs who were poets and authors and critics. His brother, his twin brother, Lev Grossman, is the author of the Magicians book series that has been adapted into a sci-fi channel.
1: Oh, my gosh. I love that series. That is, we talk about magicians all the time on Fandom, and Mm -hmm. I know that Taylor loves it. Uh, That might get her to read this book. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: I'm probably not. But and, um that that's crazy. Yeah, and their sister Bathsheba Grossman is Wait, an her artist. name is
1: Bathsheba? Really? Yes, it is. Wow. Uh, an artist that's and bold, a, a, bold a choice.
0: sculptor and her work has uh besides being in galleries all around the world has been used in TV shows like Numbers and Heroes.
1: So they're kind of a superhero family. Yeah, very busy about superheroes, (laughs) very accomplished. Oh, my gosh. I feel like that they might be a little bit like the the the
0: Jorowski family. I'm going to take that as a compliment. Um, (laughs) I don't think any of us have achieved the level of having Wikipedia pages about us. Well, we can fix that. We'll we'll do that. We'll (laughs) fix it. (laughs) Okay. Um. And I didn't see a whole lot of um, trivia about the novel itself. I was kind of expecting like a an option for a film, you know, that hasn't happened or something like that. Because just because I remember this was one of those books that gets reviewed in a lot of places, but I I wasn't able to find much on that front.
1: Well, I know that there is a wiki wiki (laughs) that somebody made that Mm -hmm. you know. However, um, it was very helpful while while I while I was trying to visualize what people would look like. Although I didn't entirely agree with some of their choices and
0: so there's some fan art about this one
1: well i think that it was the original artwork that was on mm-hmm. the cover of the original one like the original cover mm-hmm. and i looked at it i was like i didn't picture any of these people like that <laughs> at all and <laughs> i was like mm, but i also understood it. but one of the funny things and one of the weird things that i found while i was looking up um trivia and just stuff about this book is that they actually did a theatrical production of it in chicago um and i think like it was a, right a, bo- a play or a musical or probably uh it was actually a musical and it was on it was it was short-lived <laughs> it it only had a very short run for a few weeks um it didn't get great reviews but i mean people seem to like it and the costume choices were very interesting um especially for Fatal, the the girl that played Fatal, you should, mm-hmm. you should go online and just look up, uh, soon I'll be invincible musical and look at some of the costumes. so, I, I mean, it was lower budget and stuff like that, but I, I definitely was like, Hmm, this is something that I want to see. Even if it is a high school theatrical production of, <laughs> of, you know, whatever, I just want to know how they adapted it. I would love to find something and I'm sure it doesn't exist. And if it does, please, you know, all those—I don't know what to call your fans, but the protagies out there—we've um, never found a good name. <laughs> all the protagonist fans out there—if um, you can find me a, a video or anything—I would be very much in your debt. So,
0: so the novel is written in the first person and it alternates between the points of view of Doctor Impossible and Fatal. And that first-person narration and like the interior insight that were given to their world views and what they're thinking i think that would translate very easily to musical theater
1: it would be um, a lot of monologues
0: yes uh, but but also um like we 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 already have a lot of the like i want identity for these characters is given on the page in the form of internal monologues with the, the i pronoun so you can translate some of those ideas pretty quickly into um you know the the concept behind a song i think yeah i would be fascinated
1: I, I want, did, did one of his family write it? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> like, seems like it might be a thing, but yeah, um, hey, it could be, <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, it was just interesting.
0: So it's just one of those funny things. All right. Well, before we move on to the full summary, listeners, we want to thank you for downloading this episode, and we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to Patreon.com/slash/protagonists and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our monthly quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media we've been consuming that we are not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast. And all patrons who support us with five dollars per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. All right. Now on I, mean, I would to... just
1: like to comment one thing about this. I yeah. mean you guys say, Oh, Nick is an all-star um guest. It's because uh I've paid a lot of money. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so go out there and you can be <laughs> like true. me and be yeah. all-star.
0: You, you go ten dollars be... a month, we will label you an all-star and mention you frequently on the podcast.
1: You can be an all-star too if you go to patreon.com
0: slash protagonist podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's just I that don't... that next <laughs> tier up. We have we we, we, we don't advertise it much, but it's there. <laughs> Well, as I kind of uh, just mentioned, the book is divided into two points of view, Dr. Impossible and Fatal. Dr. Impossible is a supervillain who frequently attempts to conquer the world uh, thanks to his super intelligence and vague other powers. <laughs> that, that he gave to himself through his super Yeah. super mind powers. Uh, like he, he's definitely more durable and slightly stronger, but not like Superman level durable and strength, strength right?
1: Yeah, I think that it's more like how the kingpin is really strong. Mm hmm but he's not like as strong as you know, Superman or yeah. Well, I mean, Kingpin and Superman don't really fight, but you get what I'm (laughs) saying, but like, it's not, you know, he, he's, he's has abnormal strength where he can take a hit from Mm -hmm. somebody like that. But I I think
0: it's that he can be shot. Right. Uh, and not.
1: Yeah. And so he's durable because he's like, bullets are boring. He, he comments on that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just bullets. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. but not like a uh, Superman where we will have a Superman anal- analog coming up.
1: Yes. There's a lot of analogs in this book. It's part of the oh, reason yes. I like it.
0: <laughs> Fatal is a cyborg woman who can't remember her life before a government program replaced much of her body with mechanical parts after a terrible accident. And both of these stories are presented to us in first person memoir style. So the plot is, and one thing I was just saying, like that interiority of the narration leads to lots of insights um, about what makes these characters tick and everything that doesn't have a whole lot to do with the plot itself. So I'm just going to run through the plot and then we can dig into the characters a little more. Sounds good. So after Core Fire, who is a Superman-type hero, disappears, the world is all on edge. A couple young heroes go to interrogate Doctor Impossible, his arch-nemesis, uh, to find out if he had anything to do with Corfire's disappearance. Uh, during this break from his very regimented routine, he's able to find a way to escape from prison again. Uh, Core Fire was the world's most powerful and popular superhero, so his disappearance is a rather big deal. And Core Fire's old team, the Champions, refu- reforms as the new Champions, though the must add some new recruits. So Fatal is one of the two new members. The other is Lily, a reformed supervillain who used to date Dr. Impossible. The other members of the team include Damsel, a Wonder Woman-type character who's the daughter of a Golden Age hero and an alien princess, Black Wolf, a Batman-type character, Feral, who is half human, half tiger, Elfin, the last fairy on Earth, Mr. Mystic, the magic guy, and Rainbow Triumph, a kind of teenage social media celebrity type hero. Um, very who... well described. That was very good and very concise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think she got her powers because she had a uh, um, an illness that was going to be curable, but she got some experimental drugs that ended up giving her powers as well. You know, so like Dr... Doctor... Yeah, yeah, as happens, Uh, Dr. Impossible now uh, escapes from jail, tries to find the materials he needs to complete his plot to take over the world. And one thing I do enjoy about this this novel is like it talks about the trouble it is to build a secret base. Yeah,
1: well, and the other thing I like is that they don't he doesn't say this is what my plot is going to be. You don't find that out until the end. And so it brings intrigue to the story, too, which I like.
0: Yeah, but but uh, you know you, you don't just get out and then suddenly you've got an island base because there's infrastructure that has to be dealt with. And...
1: He's like, <laughs> got... I built a lot of it myself, but you still got to buy the materials, and you know that kind of pops up on things. <laughs>
0: yes. Yeah. Uh, So he's reconnecting with the criminal underworld and we get somewhat sympathetic backstories to all the villains that he goes to for help. And at the same time, Fatal is trying to integrate into the new champions as they hunt for Doctor Impossible. And we're seeing a lot of the flaws and foibles of the heroes that led to the champions breaking up in the first place. Because of the distrust she feels due to her past, Lily quits the team. So now they're down, one of their new recruits. Eventually, events lead to Doctor Impossible uh we, we find out what his plan is he's going to change the earth's orbit or orbit in the solar system and cause an ice age like you know just just slightly move it and all life then can, he will can, rule he yes. will rule the ice age <laughs> uh the champions arrive to stop him but he is prepared for them and is able to capture them all but then core fire arrives he had faked his death and disappearance and he confronts dr impossible and now dr impossible reveals that he he, it was his own science experiment as a grad student that caused Corfire to develop his powers. Uh, and in Dr. Impossible's memory, like his professor always got credit, but it was really him, the grad student, that was doing all the work, and the professor was stealing the glory. So, whenever Corefire's origin has been, been told, the professor has, has been the one identified. But he wants Corefire to know it was me, your peer, that you remember from school. I was the Fire one that did it, doesn't remember <laughs> Dr. And Impossible. He's
1: like, Who are you? And he's like, well, Oh.
0: Has <laughs> been waiting his whole life to take off the mask and tell him, "Oh, look who it is!" Because in his mind, in Doctor Impossible's mind, they were like rivals as grad students, like they were, they were, they were neck and neck for for being the smartest one in their cohort of grad students. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty funny. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, because of some uh, uh, of the materials and powers he's been able to to, to pull in, Doctor Impossible defeats Core Fire, and it looks like Doctor Impossible is about to win. But then Lily returns. And she defeats Dr. Impossible and frees the new champions. Lily reveals that she was a student at the college where Dr. Impossible and Corefire got their, their powers. Uh, And uh, Dr. Impossible actually had had a crush on her at the time. Didn't recognize her when they were dating, but uh, because since she's gotten her powers, her, her appearance has changed some. Uh, And
1: she's translucent. Like you can't see her. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so like nobody can see her face, but there is like hints of it. With Fatal, where Fatal is like, I'm probably one of the only people that's seen her face because she's completely transparent, and I can see her in infrared or what yeah. you know, whatever she sees.
0: And so so she's hanging of... out with Doctor Impossible. They dated, but he never realized this is the the girl he had a crush on in college. Well, this is, yeah, says a lot about him.
1: <laughs> well, I will she... just say
0: he's he's very uh, self centered. He's he's really focused about himself and the, what he's projecting.
1: Yeah, and but he does talk about her a lot, and he does he remember does. her.
0: Yeah uh and now we see dr impossible is in prison and he's plotting to conquer the world again but he also wonders what does that even really mean to take over the world the end
1: (laughs) that was very short (laughs) for a lot of information well done
0: there like i said i mean it was
1: very simple and i was like oh yeah i guess that is like pretty much
0: the gist of it it's not a very (laughs) complex story no, like like the heroes kind of they go to a bunch of his old bases, but do I need to describe them going you know wandering around his old bases and and like there's a little uh like fatal uh kind of flirts with uh black wolf and, yeah but but it doesn't go well uh so so there's and, some you know like soap opera wolf stuff and, you expect
1: yeah, and like black wolf was dating um, was it fatal
0: or um, not Fatal um, uh, damsel or was it damsel, the but then damsel had married uh Corfire. Yeah, Mary Corfire, so there was like then of And then she and Corfire had divorced.
1: Yeah, there was there's a lot of interpersonal drama in this. The the funny thing is is like as you were describing that, I was like that's literally like trying to describe the origin story of Spider-Man and just say instead of like all of the stuff leading up to it. You could just say he got in a fight with his uncle and then he went into the basement and got bitten by a spider. And now <laughs> yeah. he has powers, <laughs> you know, like there's a lot of stuff that happens in between there. Mm-hmm. But.
0: You know, at, at, at the heart of it, that's really all <laughs> that happened. So and really, I think what's interesting about this is some of the character stuff that isn't really plot summary. <laughs> you know what we <laughs> yeah, find no, out. There's the a lot. And,
1: and this and this book is literally just the or like it the origin stories told in past and present of the entire team like you find out the origin stories of every single character eventually mm-hmm. you know it's a mystery for a very for a good long while some of it's not so much like some of it's a little more obvious and stuff like that but like one of the things i love about how this book unfolds is that you get little hints and little hints and you're like, yeah, well, what it, what, what's actually going on with core fire? Why does why does everyone love him and why do they kind of not love him and what, like what's going on and like, what's, what's the problem there? And then you're like, well, is this girl really a fairy? Like, is is <laughs> yeah. she, like, how did she, how did, how did Lily become invisible? Like what happened? What's the story behind that? You know, what, what, what is the real deal with, you know, Batman guy, <laughs> I can't remember his name right now. Wolf. uh Black Wolf. Black Wolf. I don't want to say yeah. Wolf Man, but I knew that wasn't right. <laughs> but yeah, Black Wolf. Like, what's the story behind all these? And it just unfolds slowly and slowly, and then you actually also find out the origin story of Fatal too, and you also learn an entire history of pretty much Doctor Impossible's entire life up to that point, and like how he got there. And that's what makes this book interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and being a fan of superheroes and origin stories like what's not to like about this i mean yeah some of it's kind of cliche and some of it is kind of obvious
0: if you really think about it but it's still fun so (laughs) yeah there's there's lots of things that are direct homages to marvel and dc comics and not just in the character type but uh you know the uh core fire and uh doctor impossible's origins feel an awful lot like reed richards and uh v- victor von doom and the fantastic four right <laughs> and um mm-hmm. there's uh the soap operatic elements definitely feel like they're there's not ripping off but it's like winking at a lot of the tropes that well and and core the, fire actually
1: with. like they talk about how core fire has this reporter and that's Lily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, before Lily got her powers and Corefire was always saving this girl that he really liked. And that's the same girl that, you know, Dr. Impossible that... liked. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, obviously Low Lane and Superman there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she got her powers and that's when her body changed and she disappeared and, you know dr impossible was like oh she must have died or she moved on she didn't want to be a reporter anymore (laughs) like he just kind of was like well that's too bad but yeah it's really interesting i mean you know and that and that twist Mm -hmm. i'll be i'll be completely honest the first time i read it i didn't catch it like i didn't even i was like well okay random that doesn't make sense to me because i hadn't been paying attention well enough i Mm -hmm. i assume to realize like oh that's the same person that he was talking about at the beginning of the book and the second. And so like that transition was a little jarring and it wasn't until the second or third time that I read it. And I was like, okay, I really need to like piece this together um, a lot better. I was like, oh, okay, well that makes much more sense. And then there was a lot more, um, you know, foreshadowing to that too. Once you were like, Hey, yeah, I actually know that, Oh, that's Lily and she's going to stop him. Mm -hmm. And so you see him kind of setting that up. Um, but the first time I read it, I was,
0: you know, I was just, I don't know, in another land or something. <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> I was doing. But Well, I will say, like, if there's one nitpick I might have with the book, it's that the character Fatal doesn't have real significance to the finale. Not um, really. I mean, doesn't, other... doesn't feel like, like Lily is the one that suddenly comes in, which can work as a twist but i don't i didn't feel like we met enough of lily and if it was from her point of view it might have been really hard to pull off that twist of like her origin being so so tightly linked so i understand why um like just logistically in telling a story if you want a big surprise about who this person is you can't have their first person narration throughout the story but it ends up making Fatal as a uh, point of view character feel a little secondary
1: yeah, um, her her the finale of like what she contributes to everything is is she figures it she figures it out before anyone else. So mm-hmm. she figures out who Lily is, right. um, really because she sees some old footage of the reporter, and then she's like, "Wait, that's the same person," but then also she mainly just serves as a way for us. She's kind of like us, the reader, coming into a world that you know, we know nothing about, we just know superheroes mm-hmm. exist. And so she can be the narration because somebody has got to do it. Yeah. You know, somebody has got to go to Hogwarts the first time, you know, and
0: <laughs> watch the, uh, you know, watch the documentary about the history of all these yeah, heroes. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so,
1: so, so that she can tell us, Oh, like this is what's going on in the world. This is who mm-hmm. Corefire is, you know? And I do agree that I, I wish that she had a little bit more of a
0: climax in Even a way, more like revelation about,
1: like her, a bigger her, deal about who she yeah, was or who she anything. was and everything
0: because I, I think one thing that this book is clearly trying to do it's making you sympathize with the villains and kind of like eh, not not be too wild about the heroes uh and, and her character is such a blank slate because she can't remember who she was and her personality is now driven by machinery as much as and like wondering what her personality really would be without the machinery she yeah. she herself is kind of blank slate and we don't we don't ever break through that and yes we see her seeing some of the heroes be jerks and finding out about some of the, you know, the behind the scenes stuff of the champions that, um is you know, wasn't shown to the public because they had their PR faces as heroes. But we don't really dig into her character the way we do with Doctor Impossible.
1: Not at all. And I mean, they have a part at the very end where she's like, I don't even know who that girl is. And I wonder about her a lot because I don't remember her. And it's like, well, yeah, but we could. Like, we could find out <laughs> more about her. Like, don't... <laughs> Don't just leave us hanging like there could be (laughs) something really cool and that could have been cool. But I I don't know if he just felt it was unnecessary, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I mean, me being a storyteller, I, I, I would just come up with something like there could be something (laughs) that she was like connected. Like, I don't know anything like she was the great, great grand
0: daughter of Dr. Impossible or, or and, somehow connected Cause you know. he does really, uh, some really interesting work with like the golden age heroes from the forties. Yeah. Like she's modern heroes. She's of, the some,
1: Pharaohs some. who we haven't yeah. even talked about. Like just one of these random other villains, like, the pharaoh's like niece or something and i, and she, I
0: do want to say yeah. i love 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 that it's like there's this villain called the pharaoh and there's actually a good guy called the pharaoh but no one cared like yeah, like yeah. He, he didn't even care that there's this like c-list villain called the pharaoh because no one cared about him enough which is all, all the superhero universes have characters with the same names running around uh at, so at different funny. points and and it's just kind of like an accepted trope but when you get uh like a whole cloth new version of a superhero world usually they avoid that because that's really like the the detritus of, of decades of storytelling that the same name has been borrowed and used, but I just love that he included that <laughs> and like mentioned it several times. Like, Oh and, and, you know, not that Pharaoh, the other Pharaoh.
1: Yeah. And the <laughs> Pharaoh is actually an integral part of the story too. And there's enough there that like makes you remember him and it's funny. And then all of a sudden it's like, he's kind of part of the reason that Dr. Impossible is able to defeat core fire before Lily shows up. Yeah. So because the Pharaoh he, a power and, like, that he doesn't even understand. Is
0: is that the Pharaoh had this uh, object that uh, gave him great power um, that he never really figured out how to use very well. Yeah, he called it the
1: Hammer of Ra just because it was part of his brand. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And uh,
0: Dr. Impossible is able to get his hands on it and say, this is a real power source that I can literally use to change the Earth's location in the solar system.
1: And I can actually beat up Core Fire slash Superman with this power. Mm-hmm. Because all the kryptonite slash whatever they called it, I can't has, remember this has been taken alloy yeah, alloy. has been taken off of the world a very long time ago because corefire didn't want anyone to be able to use it. And so for years and years and years, they've been battling back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and he's been plotting and scheming and i love it when he starts talking about all of the plots that he's has like i've done robots i've done aliens i've gone to the past and tried to kill him in his sleep i've you know i've done time travel i've done nanotech (laughs) i've done and he literally goes through all of these tropes of like everything that i think he was just like stealing
0: the gold from fort knox (laughs)
1: yeah he's like i've done so much stuff and every time he always beats me and it's just so funny how he's just like i'm not giving up but I always lose and but soon I'm going to do it, you know, and I'm like, yep, we have a title. But, you know, like it's he's like soon I will be invincible. Soon I will be the the ruler of the world. And it's that drive that is just hilarious to me and also how you can be sympathetic for this guy Mm -hmm. in a way. Um, And I remember vividly thinking that when I first um, read this book where I was like, oh, this is this is really interesting to me that I could be sympathetic for, you know, whomever, for the, you know, Dr. Doom. You know? Right. Like, I, I don't, I don't and feel not, sympathy for Dr. Doom in any way, really. Um,
0: it's not trying to present the villain as misunderstood or even thinking they're the hero, which you get with characters like Magneto, right? Where, sure, like, yep. they, they have a point of view that you can understand, uh, even if you don't like the methods that they're using but you can understand where their point of view is coming from he straight up knows he's a villain that's trying to take over the world he's you know and he's, he's
1: proud of it and he's, he's not and trying he, to
0: excuse it as you know i was you know x y or z happened to me and now i've i must I do this a for some greater good or or, yeah. uh, or or anything like that he's like no i'm a bad guy i want to conquer the the smart ones <laughs> the smart ones always want to conquer the world
1: yeah and the idea that like that is very popular now that the villain thinks he's the hero in his story. That is not Mm -hmm. true. (laughs) That is not true with Dr. Impossible. He knows he's the villain. He, he sees the rule, the world and he just needs to rule it. Like that's his, (laughs) that's his motivation. And you know, and some, some reviews that I have seen and some things that I have seen have been like, Oh, well that's dumb. Like there should be a deeper rooted thing. And so like, I didn't like this book because it was such a, that was, that doesn't make sense to me. And it's like, yeah, well, it, it doesn't make sense to you because you're not him,
0: <laughs> you know, but I also think like enough of his worldview that it, it, you understand him, he, you know, he, I, again, not in the sense of a misunderstood hero. No, they talk, he, he's, they, a, he's t- a bad guy, but he he has this desire. He's got it. And he, he, they hold. talk
1: a lot about how like when you're so intelligent, um, there's a some sort of neurological disorder or something that I could never catch it because I'm not in that world that it happens to a lot of people when they're really smart then they develop kind of megalomania or, <laughs> you know,
0: or, 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 or like uh, sociopathic tendencies yeah, where they can't so, empathize with other people
1: yeah and so they just decide hey the world's broken so I need to rule it you know very
0: <laughs> like Dr. Horrible's Dr. Along horrible. <laughs> yeah that's exactly what I was thinking I was like that, that I need to rule it <laughs> line from Neil Patrick Harris yeah, stuck I love to that me. show that's so funny um, and At the same time as uh, like he straight up knows he's the villain and he's not delusional in that way. I did like the moments where you started to question how reliable he was as a narrator of his own life and his own story. Um, Like the one moment that just made me chuckle is like he puts on his suit after he breaks out of jail. And then he's like, out of the corner of my eye, I thought I saw a paunch developing on my belly, but I'm sure I'm still a striking figure as I stride into a room.
1: (laughs) We've all been there.
0: Yeah, the idea of middle age, like (laughs) catching up to him, but he's going to convince himself. It's not it's simultaneously for a first person narration. It's moments like that that um, make you question the reliability, but also make it feel more real and valid. (laughs) Yeah, because Um, because that's like, like I said, we've all been there.
1: I mean, I've been known to flourish a little bit in my day, but, you know, I mean, who hasn't? Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not trying to take over the world or, you know, now, at least you're not telling superhero. us superhero. Right. Well, I'm not good. I do like the part where he he laments the fact that he always tells everyone his plan. <laughs> he's like why do I always tell them I do have to say one of my favorite parts of this book is very early on when he is in jail and those two hotshot like superheroes come in thinking that they're going to like foil him and his internal monologue where he's like these guys these guys are here because they want to make a mark they want to be able to say I was the one that got Dr. Impossible to tell me what happened to core Fire, and all of this stuff and he's sitting there I love the internal like thinking of him saying, mm-hmm. okay, well this guy, he probably does this. And then he gets more information and his, you know, super intelligence says, Oh, this guy's not just a computer guy. He is, you know, a telepath and he's affecting who I am. And he puts all the clues together. And then with these naive to hotshot superheroes that probably bought their powers is what mm-hmm. he says. um, he totally foils them and and breaks out of prison and then starts his whole plan but i I loved that scene that's probably one of my favorite scenes in this book, only because it it you know it has that progression that is just i, I don't i think it's written really well, and i think I like that
0: part a lot. no, I agree it was very um impactful uh like i definitely rem- i know exactly what it is that you're describing and it reminded me a little bit of um in the Robert Downey Jr. version of Sherlock Holmes, which yeah is, isn't necessarily my favorite, in in the one with Moyarty, the, his second one, they do a f- uh they, they play a fight out in their minds before yes. they actually have a physical fight, where like they map out okay if I, he's going to do this, I'm going to do this, and they're both doing it mentally as they sit there and look at each other as to how the fight would 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 progress, and that's kind of what this reminded me of, and I think writing intelligence, writing someone who's the smartest person in the room can be very difficult, yeah uh especially to do. if you're not very intelligent yourself like myself. <laughs> I mean, you
1: probably could and uh, clearly this family is pretty intelligent, so I I think, you know, Austin Grossman did a pretty good job at it.
0: Yeah, I I I think he definitely nailed the uh the idea of a character who is seeing through everyone around him. And I think for that's a strength of first person narration too is is um th- that as readers we're we're given this window into it rather than seeing the action play out, which I, I know with writing, there's always the maximum of, of show don't tell. Um, but in terms of getting to know Dr. Impossible, I, I think this first person narration was a really strong choice. Um, and it definitely works and clicks um, in, in terms of, Us feeling like we know who this person is and and again it's interesting because i don't feel the same with (laughs) fatal on on, on the other side but it definitely is a home run for uh for dr impossible and there's also just like a a wit and comedy that comes both from the, the way that he sees the world and he remembers his past but also as a reader we're just in enough or, or made aware enough of the lack of reliability that when he's like describing how the fight ended we probably know what really happened but this is the version he tells himself he's like, I
1: barely barely lost <laughs>
0: and uh yeah yeah and, and and we as readers know uh you know w- w- what's been covered up and I, I think that's a really skill skillful way of presenting a story that is revealing both Dr. Impossible's like literal past but also who he is as a character and the way he, he sees the world
1: well, and especially for a first time writer too, like this being his first book mm-hmm. um it makes sense to me why it gained popularity and was kind of on the map a little bit um because that's not an easy thing to do, and so kudos mr
0: mr Grossman <laughs> um do you think this book works well for people who are not? super well versed into the superhero minutia both in terms of like the the super popular superheroes and being able to name check those but also like this is making references to like the history of the comic book industry and when super waves like like waves of superheroes were coming out at different periods uh like like it's it's mapping onto all those aspects of it do the, all those winks and nods uh and i think the book is definitely more than those winks and nods but do they become a distraction would you imagine for someone who's not as uh immersed into I don't, that that genre I don't... Well, see, for me, I
1: would say that I think it does well enough that it just means it's just world building in a way Mm -hmm. where and then for those of us or if you have any inkling of that sort of thing, it's more of a like, haha, that's awesome, too. So like Mm -hmm. it, it skirts a line of being way too like. It's heavy baseball, as heavy is. handed on this side, but also like it's written in a way, at least for me, that if you don't have any knowledge of the superhero world, you could be like, Oh yeah, like of course, once the floodgates open, people are gonna want to be superheroes too. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that me be- you know, and he just kind of comments on like, ah, yeah, there was these guys and these guys, and corporations started doing it and you know, random people started buying and trying to do anything they could to be super because people would have that desire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so I don't I don't feel like that, that was so they made it impenetrable. No, I don't I don't feel like I mean there's a lot of stuff in here that I know that not everyone would love. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I mean, this is not a book that's like I would just hand to anyone and just be right. like, hey, this book is so good you need to
0: read it. And, and gotta... well, I, I guess there's also the fact that Clearly the target audience is people who are well versed in superhero. Sure. Uh, the, the superhero you know, or genre, just like, the or industry. just like
1: that kind of genre, mm-hmm. like you know, kind of a fantasy yeah, genre. That,
0: so that's who they're 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 hoping was gonna pick this one up. And it's clear by the cover. <laughs> you know, like I mean it's just, if you pick this up and you're it like. A, is it Brian Hitch did the original cover?
1: Uh I think maybe. Yeah, I don't the know. Uh, Ooh, artist would who did know the better than me. with the
0: ultimates with Mark Miller from maybe. Marvel.
1: and that makes me sad that i (laughs) said something bad
0: about it if that's the case but oh i just now the 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 cover that's out yeah the cover is just kind of like what is is a uh, representation of his helmet helmet. right it's
1: it's a representation of what dr impossible's helmet Uh could look like because he specifically talks about how he's in crimson and he has a helmet that you know may or may not be very close to Magneto. Okay, the know. original
0: cover art was Brian Hitch. It looks like that's and, cool. Uh, the, I think this one with the uh, the helmet is by Chip Kidd, who's a, a designer uh, that does, does lots of design work and, and comic book history stuff too.
1: And I don't think that he ever specifically talks about there being like wings, like Thor wings on his uh-huh. helmet, but it wouldn't surprise me. Um, you know, I, I mean. I'll be completely honest the first time or the second time that I read this I had a notebook with me and I wrote down any time that there was a description of a character like how hot tall they were or something because I intended at one point you know and this mm-hmm. was 15 or however long ago I intended to draw them and just be like hey this would be fun to draw
0: because I like to do that sort of and thing And it's a really interesting world and like so full of secondary and tertiary characters too that you just get these quick references to oh you know that one and and I, I'm, I'm struggling to pull any of the names from my head but it's a fun exercise to say Marvel and DC own the copyright to tens of thousands of character names how can you come up with a new one and he did a pretty good job Fatal yeah, yeah. Of, uh, of giving Anvil. any like core fire. It's it's, it feels a little like a nineties, uh, image of just like slapping two words next to each <laughs> other. Uh, but it works. <laughs> and you know, that's actually a pretty good superhero name. Core
1: fire is a good name. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does. Um, uh, what's the what's the fairy girl's name? Elfin. Elfin. Yeah. yeah. And you can't really, I mean, there's, there, there is an elfin in, uh, the new, uh, the guy that wrote The Simpsons, he has a fantasy show. I can't remember what it's called. Oh, Disenchanted. Matt Groening, right? Dis, yeah, Disenchanted has a person named
0: Elfin, I think. Oh, okay. Well, it's yeah, like there's they... oh, a... Elfo. It's Elfo. Sorry. Oh, okay. It's one of the Elfo. characters here is named uh, Feral, and I know there's a Marvel Feral. Yeah, there's a character, mean... but that's one of those words that you can't really copyright. <laughs> no.
1: Yeah, that's cool. I, I mean, when I was a kid, I stumbled upon my dad's art book my dad's an artist more of a cartoonist than an artist is what he would call himself he likes to draw um greeting cards for people like he'll just draw his own greeting cards like if you ever have a birthday or something he will draw a greeting card for you with some sort of punny joke in it and it's it's funny like it's cool um but he when he was younger he he loved comic books and he passed that on to me and he used to draw his own characters all the time and he had a book that he showed me when i was young sometime he pulled it out and he's like these are all the characters that i made and there was you know just all of these you know there was one called the blue dart which hasn't aged well <laughs> a blue dart is probably not this this if if you want to go to the urban dictionary you can find out what a blue dart is but um his friend when he was young, they had their characters that they loved. And it was the blue dart. And my dad made this guy named missile master. And he, he, and then he drew all these villains and stuff. And so as a kid, I was inspired. I was like, I'm going to do that too. My dad was cool. My dad's cool. I'm going to do it. St- st-. And so this, the character that I made that was like my super cool character was, his name was just Eagle. And he was basically just Falcon, <laughs> like pretty much just Falcon with a helmet on. Um, And then I made another guy called black star and he was a combination of green lantern and Batman. (laughs) Like, like he got powers because somebody chose him to be like the guardian of this, this world, but Mm -hmm. he only was like super strong. So like, kind of like Captain America too. Like he didn't really have very many powers other than the fact that he was just really strong and he had cool gadgets and you know, I drew this and my dad, he always said, Oh yeah. Missile master was like my coolest guy. Like I really liked him when I was a kid and he actually, um, he sent it in to Marvel. He said, this is my character. I want you guys to make it. <laughs> and he got a reply back from, you know, Stanley or whomever, uh, Mike, Dick, uh, who, you know, whoever it was. And, they said, "Hey, we really like it. but We're going to change his name." And he, there was a character named Missile Man. In, I don't know if it was Marvel or DC. My, I, I mean, I'd have to ask my dad. It's been a long time since I've remember the story, and he probably won't remember. Um, but yeah, Missile Man. And I, I, if I, if anybody knows where Missile Man and what comic book Missile Man is in. I would like to go find that <laughs> and have a copy of it. Cause it, it was my dad's character that made it. Um, but I kind of feel like that this book is doing the same thing where it's like Austin Grossman, when he was younger, he was like, Oh yeah, I'm going to make a character. That's pretty much exactly like wonder Woman. I'm just going to call her damsel and just change her a little bit. And so for me, like there was a lot of nostalgia for this because I made the X-Men but they weren't the X-Men. <laughs> they were like yeah. people that were very close to the X-Men. And I even copied, you know, art styles and stuff from the comics that I loved. Mm-hmm. And so in a way, like that nostalgia to me, like made this book even more fun to me. And that's why I was like, oh, I want to draw all these characters because I can totally relate that. Like I want to make somebody that's pretty much Jean Grey, but is not Jean Grey. Like I, <laughs> I literally made a character who was named Rattle. Or ratel. I don't know how to say it, but what I did is when I was a kid, I looked up other creatures that were like wolverines, and so there was badgers and there were weasels, and I was like, well, I can't just call them weasel or badger, (laughs) and there is this random. You can look it up. There is a skunk-like, you know, sort of creature that lives in Australia, and it's called a rattle or a ratel. R a t e l, and and it just has a white stripe down its back, and then it's and it's black. So it it's kind of like a skunk, but it's not a skunk, and it's very ferocious like a Wolverine and stuff. And instead of having three claws, I gave him two claws. And, oh, yeah, <laughs> you,
0: you can't have it too close. <laughs> you know, and
1: then, and then I really liked the game Bionic Commando, and so I gave him like a Dr. Octopus style like thing that could shoot out, and then he could swing like Batman with his grappling hook. <laughs> but it was a thing that shot out of his arm. And it mm-hmm. didn't like move around like Dr. Octopus. You could just shoot it and grab somebody. So kind of like a grappling hook, sort of situation. Like a grappling hook or like Scorpion, you know, from mm-hmm. Mortal Kombat, where he could pull it back. And, you know, he had a white stripe down the front of his mask that looked pretty much like Spider-Man.
0: You know, and I was yeah. just,
1: just like I was just combining all these things. I was so proud. I was like, this is the coolest character ever. And you know, now I'm like, oh yeah, that's literally just copying everything that I liked and just made a character named <laughs> Rato. It is a
0: very normal stage for kids who get into superheroes though, yeah, to start making up their own characters. I, I I absolutely know. I had some when I was, you know, I 10, would be very curious to know um,
1: because we have all our best ideas when we're 10. And yes, you know, I Yeah, peeped.
0: and when all you're doing I, is is vaguely shifting what you already like. <laughs> like just what little peaked. step with Rattle or Rattle.
1: I don't even know how to say his name. I need to look up this animal again so I can pronounce it right. But yeah. And then Black Star, like he was kind of my cool thing. Um his 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 name was Ryan Waterman. That was the name of
0: the character. It's going to be your edgy edgy one.
1: Yeah, and he changed over time too because originally he kind of like like I just kind of morphed him into something better. You know, much like, you know, Green Arrow was originally just a Robin Hood with cool arrows and then they made him a lot cooler over time Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah i still have drawings and stuff like i i drew a comic book when i was probably like eight that was basically eagle fighting this guy named blaze which was basically a version of the road warriors from wrestling And if you remember these guys, they had shoulder pads that were just football shoulder pads that had spikes all over
0: them. I was going to say, isn't this what a lot of the Las Vegas Raiders fans or the Oakland Raiders fans look like they're wearing now?
1: Pretty much, yeah. And so, like, I just made a guy that had an eye patch and a bunch of, oh, his name was Blade. His name wasn't. Oh, that one's been taken. Yeah, his name was Blade. But he was bald and, I mean, just the quintessential of what a bad guy would look to a little kid. He had, like, a Speedo on and then had slashes like Zangief all over his body (laughs) and then had an eye patch and had tons of swords. (laughs) Like, you know, just every blade that he could fit on it. So maybe even Rob Liefeld-esque where he just had pouches with knives everywhere, you know, (laughs) or something. I don't know. Like, it was just... Oh man, I I haven't thought about this in a while. <laughs> I could find these drawings too, I'm sure. Cause I saved them. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> But so, yeah. I, I mean that that is definitely one of the fun things though, is that these characters in Sunday Invincible, they are that just like one step to the right or to the left of existing comic book characters. And as you're reading the description, you immediately say, Oh, this is the Batman one.
1: And it makes you it makes you feel familiar with it. Mm-hmm. And it you know, and I mean it is a little different but not enough that you're going to be really. Yeah.
0: Now, if that was all that this had was like these nods and, uh, you know, close analogs to existing superheroes, I don't think this book would have gotten the positive reviews it did, or, or we wouldn't be no. talking about it, you know, 14 years later. So what is it you think that it does beyond, you know, digging beyond these uh, like, like hyper familiarity with the, the tropes of existing superhero comic books that has made this book successful. Well,
1: one of the things that I, that I think, happened in the 2000s that was kind of i mean it was happening a lot more during this time and i i kind of feel like that it was the era when we got this and now we're just benefiting from it and we have touched on this a little bit but um making a villain more likable i guess i mean the Mm -hmm. sopranos is like the first thing that i can think of of like a show where like Tony Soprano is a horrible person. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, or uh, like, Breaking Bad, right? You know, the Breaking that's be, Bad, that's yeah, Breaking era. Bad, or even you know, in, in some ways, like The Dark Knight kind of does that, where you like kind of sympathize with the Joker a little bit and mm-hmm. make him likable. Um, I mean, there's a lot more of those now, and even now, like, um, The Boys kind of does that, but it's taken it to even a more extreme. The Amazon series of like superheroes um but i just remember vividly during this time period we got a lot of media that was touching on like not every bad guy is like really that bad but maybe they just make really bad decisions and do bad things but like deep down they might not be as bad as you want you think they are but then also you feel terrible because all of a sudden you like Dexter and he literally murders people all the time mm-hmm. in horrific ways but you're like no like Dexter he's just misunderstood I like Dexter and you're like should I like Dexter that's not a good thing to like Dexter <laughs> you know Um, and so like I think also that shift like has helped like us as people be able to sympathize with maybe not the you know Jeffrey Dahmer's of the world or the oh, I mean, there's still, people, still you know, lines that that should be crossed you know, and
0: like clearly what he's doing at the end like this would cause genocide which okay that's a line that shouldn't be crossed but it's also left abstract enough about what the end of the world is going to be uh th- that you don't quite feel the horror that you know, a, a direct murder or somebody, or the other like morally abhorrent things uh that in this version, at least like the, the villainy is, is still like abstract. Yeah, and it's
1: not, you know, we're not seeing in vivid detail him do anything horrible or torture or any, you know, anything like that. Yeah. But, but I feel like if we can just touch a little bit on like people make bad choices and they're not completely bad people. Mm hmm. Like this is, this is a, when I was young, like my world was very black and white and I started working when I was 16 at a place. And there was a lot of people that were like, quote unquote, doing things that were like the bad things to do right, right. like smoking like they were yeah. smoking out in front every they time swore. after we played laser tag right like they would get out of the laser tag yeah. arena and just go smoke all the time and they swore and they said naughty words and they talked about inappropriate things and you know it was you know it, you live in your little sheltered world that your parents have created for you and then when you go out into the world you need to be able to you know kind of Offer that and still exist because otherwise you're not going to be able to be a productive member of society. And one of my friends, his his name was Jesse, and he went by the code name of Smoke Dog. And he went by Smoke Dog because he liked to smoke, <laughs> you know. Like, and he was one of those people that did that.
0: There's not a lot of subtlety in that nickname,
1: and you know he he basically told me he's like Nick, like. And I don't even remember what we were talking about, but he just kind of brought up, he was like, Nick, there's a lot of good people that just make bad choices or just mm-hmm. have bad habits. And I th- I think about that a lot. <laughs> like, I think ab- about that a lot when I meet somebody and I say, hey, you're Dr. Impossible. You're a horrible person that is <laughs> trying to commit g- genocide. There's probably something good in you. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure that there's not any good in Hitler, right? Like I'm going to draw the line on some <laughs> yes. of these people, but like in my day-to-day life, as yeah. Yeah, I'm like, going okay, through life, we're not
0: going to be looking for the redeeming qualities of serial rapists, of murderers, yeah, uh, yeah, you know? and stuff like
1: that. But like me just walking up to somebody and they have tattoos or they have, you know, a bald head or a Mohawk or, you know, things that were quote unquote, like his nickname is Cobra, which must mean he's bad. Right. Yeah that doesn't mean you know the clichés of you know media or mm-hmm. or whatever we do or just because this person looks different than i do comes from a different country you know anything has a different religion different race different you know as a girl a boy is transgender whatever it is um however you identify that doesn't make you bad and there's good in you And if I can find that good, then I can relate and I can empathize with you. And I think that's something that's lacking in the world sometimes. Like some people lack empathy and I think it's an important thing to learn. And even if you learn it from a simple book that is just about some silly 40s trope supervillain, and you're like, you know what, he really is a bad person, but there's kind of some silliness in there and then also you see the who is supposed to be the best of the best have a little bit of mud and yeah. have a little bit of bad in them you're like you know what everyone ogres have layers right like every, well, like even, an onion um, <laughs> you know you
0: like we don't actually meet Corefire for most of this book but there's one point where fatale like asks um black wolf about him and he just like black wolf just, he was a jerk <laughs> and walks off <laughs> well, and like, he
1: kinda, you you meet him very very briefly at the end where yes she, at the end she's yeah. she goes off and she's like he was way more handsome than i thought he would be mm-hmm. he had a presence but also like he was moody because he was throwing a fit because he lost to dr impossible like the thing that he thought couldn't happen that he could actually be defeated happened with his nemesis, and then somebody else came in and saved him. And so, even at the end of the book, they're like, "Corefire goes off and hides after, and doesn't tell anybody <laughs> yeah. that he got defeated because mm-hmm. he didn't want his image to change, or or whatever." Like, you can fill in the blanks there, but you're like, "Oh, yeah, he's probably not actually a really good person," <laughs> you know? There's like, a lot of pettiness that we find you know, in the
0: hero side.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, some even some of the heroes themselves too like you find out that Elfin like her backstory is that she feels like she has this she has this quest that she's been given from Queen Titania
0: that she was left behind when all the other fairies, and fairies, yeah, left. fairies
1: <laughs> left and Queen Titania t- told her you have a quest to fulfill I will tell you when it happens and it has been a millennia or like <laughs> longer like it has been a very long time since she was told hey you have a quest go find it and she's just been wandering on the earth trying to do good things and you're like yeah that's that that's actually quite tragic like she's doing very good things but man that's hard you know and and so like i believe that if you want to gain any sort of like validity or like find value Like, that's one of the things that, like, during this time in my life and even before was a kind of a a time that I was like, you know what? Like, everyone has value. And I remember going up to weird looking old guy and just being like, hey, tell me about yourself. And Uh one of my favorite questions to ask people, because it's, it's interesting to hear their response, is... Tell me about your adventures. Like I'll walk up to somebody and say, they'll be like, oh, hey, Nick, how are you doing? I say, you know what? Tell me about your adventures. What is an adventure to somebody? Some people can say, oh, my kids are the greatest. That's the greatest adventure I've ever had. Some people will immediately be like, well, I haven't been on any adventures. I've never left the country. And it's like, you know what? You know, like you can learn a little bit about a person uh-huh. by asking them about their adventures, yeah. and you know it's just kind of a curious little thing that I do. And some people are just like, well, "What are you talking about? You're weird." Okay, walk away. <laughs> um, you know, and then that tells me something about them too. But um, I like to learn people's stories, and I like to to hear about what's going on. Um, and and is... I think
0: one thing that this book does well is showing that. Uh, as you said, like the the people who are making the bad choices, they're not, you know, these monsters <laughs> in this sense. Again, we do have to say he, he's threatening the existence of human life, but you find him kind of uh, uh, there's a charm about him as as we read through, and you you do come to know him. Uh, but with the heroes, these people who are trying to do good things, and they are legitimately trying to like like in finding out that some of them can be jerks and petty and uh, flawed. It's not like they're hypocrites in like they're really all in it for the money or anything at all like they're trying to do good for the world they're just not perfect people and i think that as you're saying like that empathy to realize that there are flawed people who are trying to do very good things and there are people who've made bad choices who are still not bad people right uh you know that level empathy needs to go both ways and sometimes i think we want the only people like like the the only people who earn respect have to be nigh perfect uh and, and and in the fatal side of the narrative, we're being shown over and over and over again that these heroes who are doing their best to do good with the, the gifts that they've been given are not perfect. <laughs> They're not and so not perfect. Like even with
1: that, it is okay. If you're trying to do good things to have flaws, mm-hmm. like it and- is okay not to be perfect. Like you don't have to be Superman. You can go out and volunteer. You can do good things. You can help the little old lady across the street. And you might have demons, but that doesn't make you a bad person because it's like Dumbledore says, it's the choices that we make that are whether or not we're a good person mm-hmm. and what we decide to do with them. We can be a very good person and try to commit genocide and obviously, you know, like, now we're not a good person. <laughs> yeah. Like that That act is what is going to make us the bad person. And, like, I kind of like, and, you know, it might just be me, like, being silly and just being like, oh, this silly superhero story is teaching me this life lesson. But any art that that gives you value in such a way, regardless of how it's being presented, has value. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the val one of the things that I loved about this book, that it was in such a silly and odd way that I could glean value from it.
0: Well, I think it's a pretty good note to end on. <laughs> I liked I liked where you landed there, Nick. So do you have any a, a, any final thought though before we we fully wrap up the episode? I I would
1: definitely encourage everyone regardless of who you are reading this book even if it's just for entertainment to try to just be a little bit better every day. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> regardless of what that little bit better is whether it's I'm going to drink half a glass of water more every day because I know I'm supposed to drink more water, or maybe I should substitute this vice for something that's a little bit more valuable, mm-hmm. um, because if we all just did a little bit more, the world would be a lot better place, and I'm sure that somebody in your life will be affected by that for the positive, and I think that that has value.
0: The last thing I want to say about this book, and thank you for your thoughts Sir Nick, and I sign off, co-sign, <laughs> <laughs> everything you just said, I said this book is fun, and I, I laughed, uh, and there's great jokes if you know the superhero genre, but there's also great jokes if you just are, uh, like, like the the well-sketched characters. like. When, and the
1: audio book does a good job. The guy that plays, they, they swap between uh A male narrator and a female narrator yeah and one's fatal and one's the other and and um it they do a great job mm-hmm. it's really well done and it actually i would recommend listening to the audiobook over reading but i would never you know just because that the production of it and the it is really well done
0: yeah and when he's uh dr boss like going into the the uh, like reconnecting with, with the villainous underground and like complaining about these mundane life things that like <laughs> yeah. he's a super genius and he's he's like like okay I just broke out of prison I need to find some clothes <laughs> you, you know and, and and like oh you know I've got to find somewhere I, I've got to get cash so I can pay cash because I don't have the right forms to try and get a real rental <laughs> um, you know all these all the stay oh, off the oh, grid yeah all the mundane parts of this just it was a delight to read, like the 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 real nuts and bolts of what it would be like to try and build uh, uh, an evil lair on a on a, de- on a deserted island. Uh, like, how do you get the materials there? How do you get the crew who can dig? Don't even <laughs> get me started on minions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I think fine. there's a lot of fun uh, in this, as well as I, I think you found uh, or identified some good themes uh, that that are present here. Well, I think we're here at the end of the episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice and leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Toft, who composed our theme music. You can reach us by emailing feedback at ProtagonistPodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at ProtagonistPod or at Jaderowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at disminute. And our Facebook fan page is Facebook.com slash ProtagonistPodcast. Uh, Nick, is there anything you would like to plug?
1: Um, Occasionally, we will release a um, podcast. (laughs) Our (laughs) podcast is called Fandom. Uh, We've taken a little hiatus, um, but I think we'll probably get started again. It all depends on a couple of the co-hosts and the people that actually run the show a lot more. Um, But I am an artist, which I touched on a little bit here. And you can find my art at nickenglishart.com.
0: And I love being here, and I hope to see you guys again. Thank you again for joining us, uh, Nick. And thank you listeners for downloading. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Bye Bye, Crossed. Okay.